this week we're going to talk or have a discussion around this word uh, or this thought of, of worship, praise and worship, really more so the heart and the expression of worship. Um, every week we gather together, and if I said, hey, what's worship to you? A lot of us would say worship to me is what we just did. Uh, it's, it's that, that 930 to, it's the best part of the service if all of us are honest. Like we're like, <laughs> I come here for that. You know what I mean? But worship is not just the singing of songs. It's actually much more. So what we're doing is we're going to take a, a biblical approach to the conversation of worship and we'll learn really quickly that worship doesn't have a whole lot to do with music at all. Now, we'll talk about praise, and we'll get a little bit more into what that actually is. But let me give you guys a definition of what worship actually is. Now, this is just coming from, from a dictionary, but the, the word worship means this. It's the reverent love and devotion accorded a deity, an idol, or a sacred object. So it's this, it's this love, it's this devotion that is, is supposed to be reserved for a deity, but the truth is, worship is something that's always flowing from our lives, knowingly or unknowingly. Um, all of a, another sense of the word um, worship, maybe just another angle on it, is to ascribe worth to something or to someone. It's to it's to say this is valuable, so I'm going to focus on it. I'm going to cherish it. I'm going to value it. I'm going to give my life to it. And like I said a second ago, we are always worshiping. It's kind of like a heartbeat. Like we don't, we don't have to tell ourselves for our heart to beat. We involuntarily are just having our hearts beating. And in the same way, we are, we say, what does that mean? How is that true? Just like there's an object of our faith, and we talked about putting our faith in Christ, and oftentimes we associate the word faith to Christ and salvation, and that being an object of our faith, there is an object of our worship. And the way that you can find what you worship is you just analyze your life. What are my priorities around? By the way, this isn't going to be one of those things that I say, you got to do nothing apart from just sit in the presence of God, although that would be good for some of us. But we look at what we prioritize our lives around, what we value, what um, our actions go towards. It's what we really build our life Around we have a song that it's called Build My Life, and in it we, we boldly declare, I will build my life upon your love. Not your love, but Christ's love. Like we'll build our life on the reality of the gospel. And this is what God actually designed humanity to be. He designed humans to worship him, to prioritize him, to value him, to for there to be relationship, think about something that you prioritize your life around. It's something that you actually find great fulfillment in. Like, because some of us, and I'm going to help you through some of the, the mental hurdles right now, some of us hear those things and we're like, that sounds terrible that I was built to only be around God all the time and just do that. Well, no, in the purest sense, it's actually an incredible thing. 
that God designed us to be 100% fulfilled being close to him, spending time with him, being around him, allowing who he is to shape who we are, for him to be ours and we to be his. That's what we were actually designed to be. We were created to worship, to value him above everything. But there's a problem. Because if we were all just brutally honest with one another, if not just ourselves, that's not the reality of our lives. In the garden, in Genesis, God designed man, created them. And for a season, we don't know how long, we say, oh, it only lasted a couple chapters. Like, this this was real quick. We don't know. Adam and Eve could have existed for years and years, for decades. We don't know how long they lived in the garden, undistorted, uncontaminated. We don't know how long they lived in this perfect environment of worship. But something happened. Today's message is not about sin, but we do know that sin distorted, broke the ability for mankind to worship God the way that we were actually created to. And for the first time in humanity's history, man chose to worship, prioritize, value something other than God. This thing, this fruit, And I'm going to disobey the word of the Lord, the instruction of the object of my worship. And when that decision was made to disobey God, sin comes in and disrupts worship between man and God. I would say this. The problem that we were just saying, there's a problem in our lives in worship. The problem is sin. Sin is a worship problem. Sin. It's when we put our personal desires at the pinnacle of our life, of our value, of our priorities, of the object of our affection. Everything that God created, sin has perverted. We've talked about those types of things, and that's not an overreaction. That's a a real statement. And sin in the same way has caused problems with worship as well. Knowing that we were created to love, to value, to obey God above every other thing in our sinful nature, what happens is we're born into sin, so we have this nature. By default, we are not worshipers of God. Because we are all descendants of Adam Our bloodline has been tainted by sin. So we've got this problem from the moment that we are born. We don't have to teach babies how to be selfish. It's just a natural thing. I would say it's a gift of God, but that would be inaccurate. It's actually a gift from man, selfishness. But the truth is we knock on kids a lot of times, but adults are just as selfish, if not more selfish. And I can say that. I'm an adult. We live to gratify our own desires, our own hopes, our own dreams, our own actions. Like That's what we live for. And what that means when we build words around that type of thing is we worship self. And that's a problem. Sin is when you love, uh, desire, 
or depend on something more than God. The word is actually idolatry. Idolatry is, is essentially, it's, it's worship of self instead of God. And we say, you build your life. We build our, that's more inclusive. Let me say we so I don't hurt everybody's feelings. But like, we build our lives so that we can satisfy our desires, our dreams, our hopes, our missions, our values, our vision. We worship ourselves. And that's how it's always been from the beginning. Adam and Eve. And that's just the trajectory of humanity until this began a week of just tragedy. This man that decides not to worship his own self his own desires, his own dreams. He comes in, he disrupts the disruption of sin itself. He steps into the place, and what Adam and Eve couldn't do, Jesus does perfectly. Perfectly? Sure. <laughs> you see, time and time again in Jesus' life, you see him deny self. Early on in ministry and at the very end of ministry, early on in Matthew chapter 4, there's an account of Jesus being led into the wilderness and he's tempted. He's tempted by the devil and the devil tempts him three different times in unique ways. One of those is really built around worshiping self. You'll pick up in verse 8 with me of chapter 4. It says this, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. So he takes him up and he says, Jesus, look at this. How incredible is this? And the devil says to Jesus, he says, all these things, everything you see, I will give to you. If you fall down and worship me, it's a fight for worship at this point. It's a fight for worship at this point and the allure of what could be. Think about if you owned everything that your eyes could see right now. Oh, life would be good. Now take yourself up to a high pinnacle and say, everything I see could be mine, could be my riches, could be my glory. Everybody would know me. I would not have to pay for a blue verified check mark. Like I would naturally get one. Like, like some of you are like, what is he talking about? Everybody. <laughs> but then I've got a crew that's like, I feel you, I hear you. The same temptation happens to Jesus, but unlike every other man before him and honestly every other man after him, Jesus does something different. He says, be gone, Satan. He says, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He makes a definitive stand in that moment, and in moments past that, and then leading up to his death, he even has this moment where he says, God, I really don't want to do what I'm about to do, but it's not about my will. It's not about my desires. It's about yours. So what Adam and Eve fail to do, what Adam and Eve give in on, Jesus stands strong. And when Jesus stood strong for the first time in humanity, the weight, the power, the destruction of sin 
kind could never overcome all of a sudden was destroyed and now we had a path to victory and that path wasn't through perseverance that path wasn't through doing better trying harder being gooder the path was found in the one that says I am the door I am the way the path to destruction of sin and living a life of victory that worships something other than self was found in Jesus Christ himself everything that sin destroyed Jesus restored that truth, that's why we worship. That, that's why we worship. We worship, we put value, priority, life on Jesus because he did what we could not do. We worship because of the gospel, and knowing that truth is necessary to worship. If we don't have that here or here, we cannot worship or praise. We, we're missing it. We can do things. We can express. We can dance. We can scream. We can put hands up. We can put our hands down. Like We can do all that stuff, and we can miss it entirely. Don't forget where you were and what saved you. Oftentimes in worship, as it's starting, I'm just reminding myself that without Christ, this is, this is hopeless. This is nothing. This is worthless. So we worship because of the gospel. That's why we worship. That's why a call to worship, that's what we call it, but a call to worship is, is essentially at the beginning of service when you read a scripture or something. We are trying to anchor ourselves to the truth of yet again, Jesus is the good news. But then it gets into the conversation that we were trying to lead out with, and it was, so how do we actually do this? How do we worship? How do we express praise? And it's amazing. The first 30 minutes or 25 minutes of our service, if you look around, people express worship completely different inside this room. Like nobody worships the same or praises the same. Uh, and, and some of that's built on personality. Some of that's built on the way that we were brought up. But I want to kind of go into the conversation of how do we express worship? And I believe the way that we express worship is through praise. I don't think that praise is a synonym with worship. I think praise is an expression from a heart of worship. Praise is the outward expression of worship. It's the fruit on the tree. But the fruit on the tree comes from a source. C.S. Lewis said this, God or anything strangely escaped me. He's just being honest with us. He says, I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. All enjoyment overflows into praise. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's a point, it is the appointed consummation. Yesterday I was watching the final four. I don't care about any of the teams in it. I just like sports. FAU, who I'd never heard of until the final four. I was pulling for them because nobody cares about them. FAU and San Diego State were playing. And there became a moment in this game the very end. Did anybody watch it? Okay. Okay, cool. 
I was like, this is not going to land. <laughs> there came a moment where because I just enjoy basketball, that I had to erupt in response. And it came when the buzzer sounded and there was a ball in the air and a guy from San Diego State made a shot that sent his team to the national championship. I was sitting in a chair and I said, oh my, oh, like, oh, I slapped my son. Like, like, how would worship be if we just started slapping each other? It's so good, whack. That would be amazing. We would get in the news, y'all. It's that church that slaps it. Like, I like it, but I don't, you know? But, like, it demanded a response. Why? Because I love basketball. Now, okay, so that's me. That's me. How illogical is it? If that's Micah's personality, in moments of worship, that he's a responsive and expressive person, that he finds himself in moments of worship and he's dead as a doornail. So all I would ask you to do is analyze your life. Think about your life. And if you find yourself being an expressive person in other environments, but then you find yourself in moments of worship uh, amongst the, the king of glory, the creator of all things, the one who sought you out and saved your soul. And there's nothing My question is, could it be because we enjoy or delight in other things more than God? Worship is an overflow from the heart. Like, ha, what makes you go? It's an overflow of that. But here's the funny thing. Depending on your upbringing, you can have all the outward things. So I'm not just beating up on people that don't uh, express themselves like that. Because you can express yourself a lot like that. You can just grow up in maybe more of a charismatic church or a real responsive church, but be just as empty on the inside. You can praise God and not truly worship him. In Isaiah, the prophet says this. He says, the Lord said, because this, people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear for me is a commandment taught by man. It's not a reality in the heart. A couple weeks ago, I was talking with uh, one of our students. He found me in the lobby. He's a, he's a super smart dude. I don't know if he's in here. I think he's serving right now. Mav. Anybody know Mav Flannery? He's a cool dude. He came up to me, and he asked a question. He says, can I ask you a question? It's about Cain and Abel. <laughs> and just so you guys know, I get scared when people ask me biblical questions because I'm like... <laughs> Go talk to Rick Lau. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but he said, would Cain's offering been accepted if it was the same as Abel's? How would you answer that, just so you know? And we got into a conversation about the heart. We got into the conversation about offering up what God told us to give. I'm not going to answer that question for you. Actually, I will. I think it was a matter of the heart. I think it was disobedient what Cain decided to give. He didn't give of the first fruits, which is what God had commanded him to do. But it's all the same. That's why sometimes when we talk about giving, we say giving is an act of worship as well. 
because you're starting to see it's all connected to the heart that things flow from. I do want to get into this for a moment, and I want to talk about the actual praise part of this conversation, though. Because when we gather together on Sunday mornings, as a, as a community, we gather together and we praise. That's, that's, like, that's a major part of what we do. Uh, we, we believe it's something that, that God's called us to. It's something that we are deeply passionate about. And we want to create environments when we come together that we can praise God together as a community but also as an individual. It's amazing that when we give you permission, sometimes I just shut up and I listen to the crowd. And I listen to the, the, the choir lift up praises to the creator. As a church, we use music as the vehicle to lift Jesus up together. Theologian Don Whitney said this. He says, there's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in the meeting together with other believers. I agree. I agree. I think it's crucial. Now, some of the most sincere moments of worship in my life have come when no one else is here. <laughs> it's on my face, praying and worshiping and crying. I was listening to some music last night that like took me back to moments of just decisions I made as a follower of Christ. But there is something uniquely powerful about the gathering of people, worshiping and praising. It's, sometimes I lean over to my family and I'm like, hey, dude, I said, this place is ready to praise today. <laughs> like there's just this, this buzz and we're ready to go today. And there's sometimes I just say, hey, dude, listen, I, I use this phrase, the roof's going to come off this place. And what is it? What it is, is a bunch of individuals have decided to lay down their lives and lift up the creator of their lives. And God couples it all together and does something spectacular to it. Don Whitney said it, but so did Paul, the apostle. Colossians 3 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what does that mean? Do all of us have to put our hands up? Does that mean all of us have to jump up and down? Does that mean all of us have to like foolishly sing? Does that mean all of us have to slap each other? Like what is worship? The Bible has a lot to say about praise. Matter of fact, there's seven, diff seven different Greek words that are trying to explain different angles of what worship is. One of them means to kneel or bow. Some of, sometimes you just you feel led to just surrender, to kneel or to bow. One of the words means to celebrate. Celebrate, like the game-winning shot just went in. Some of the words mean to boast. Ain't nobody like you, God. Ain't nobody like you, God. You're above everything. You're high above. Like, it's putting value. It's putting worth. It's like, God, you're incredible. Being clamorously foolish. Someone, no, he was worshiping. Shout loudly. To sing praises. Other words mean a spontaneous song. 
a new song. Sometimes our worship leaders stand on the stage and say, just sing out your own words. They're giving you an invitation to praise, to respond out of the heart, to release it. Other words mean lifting and extending hands. Why did I, when San Diego State made the shot, why did I just, something went, oh. What's amazing, you saw the whole crowd. The ones that were on the winning team all were like this. I'm not saying sports is an idol. I'm saying that some people worship those things, though. Other words mean making music with instruments. Worship. Praise. Real quickly, I think this brings up a meaningful question, though. Why don't all the churches look the same when it comes to these things, then? Why do churches look different in worship service? And reasons that churches have different types of services is because they're just differences of the way that they interpret and apply the Bible. And I think they give me error in both sides. But it's how they read, interpret, and apply what a worship service is supposed to look like. There's really two views when it comes to, to this thought. And one of the views is what's called, it's called a regulative view, and there's one called a normative view. In, in condensed terms, what a regulative view or the principle of regulative worship is, it says that scriptures give specific guidelines, like this is exactly what it's supposed to look like when conducting worship services, and that churches must not add anything to what the scripture explicitly says. Like this is exactly how it has to happen. That's what's called the regulative principle. Then there's another principle called the normative principle. And what this is, this, this one also uses the Bible, just so you know. This one also uses the Bible, but it teaches that anything not explicitly forbidden in scriptures may be used in worship services. So you've just got these two different interpretations of the word of God. Which one's right? I think they both can be right. And I don't want to ever be a group of people that says, this is right, this is wrong. I really think both of them are seeking to hold the truth of God's word uh, intention. Um, but it, it differs on what the Bible clearly establishes itself as, as what's the right way. And this is just in, in real plain terms, lights, like those little robot lights, um, technology, the lights in the air, um, the sound system. Some people believe that it's, it's not holy to have amplification. Um, so so it, like, it plays out in technology. Uh, it, it plays out just straight up in style. Um, I listened to a guy this morning on Instagram say anyone that wears anything other than a suit uh, is, is harmonizing with the devil. And that would be one extreme extension of one of these views. Um, but I would say just as equally, if I stood on this stage and I said, if you come in wearing a suit, man, you're missing the mark. I think that's wrong. I think that's off. Um, comes out in the expression, <laughs> singing, lifting hands, although I do believe we've got biblical basis for things that we just said. Comes into aesthetics, what a building looks like. What a building just looks like. Um, this is how those conversations actually flesh themselves out. So the question is, where do we find ourselves? <laughs> what is Northwood Church? This is foundation, so we'll talk about it. I'd say we're both and. 
the cop-out? Absolutely. But I do believe it to be true. Some people um, who are regulative say that we're too normative. Some people that are, are normative say that we're too regulative. Um, at Northwood, we believe that um, there's liberty. <laughs> there's liberty in our expression of worship, but there are also biblical boundaries um, that we stay away from that would cause distraction, that would cause um, focus to go on to an individual over a creator. That's where we stand. First Corinthians says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. We believe in order, but we absolutely believe in expressive worship. Uh, we believe in the gifts of spirit. That's what we believe. I, I love praise and worship. I wish that... <laughs> I wish that today we didn't have two services so we could continue this conversation a little bit further. Let me quickly tell you what praise isn't. What praise in church services is not. It's not a concert. There's a, there's a big argument right now that's coming from what's oftentimes called ex-evangelicals that are saying uh, church services are just one big concert. That they're built, that's why we turn the lights down so that people can only focus up here. Guys, first, that's nuts. I don't, I don't honestly like standing up here. Like, I'd like it if you were standing up here, but we all have responsibilities in the local church. We turn the lights down in worship so that you can worship. Like this, oftentimes it's more difficult just to express yourself. We play the music loud because we like the music loud, but also we play the music loud so that you can sing loud. If you could sing good, would you please join the worship team? <laughs> can I say that? <laughs> we turn the lights down and the music up so you can express yourself in any of those seven ways. That's why we do this. It's not so we can say, look at us and this concert. Um, praise and worship is not an intro to the service. It's like, we're doing this thing so I can do my thing? Oh, no. No. Praise and worship is so that we're entertaining the king, so that we're worshiping, we're glorifying. Uh, praise and worship also is not about you. It's not. It's not for you. We gather together so we can lift up the name above all names. So very quickly, what is worship? Worship is to glorify God the Father. Above everything else, lift him up. It's to experience God the Spirit. I truly believe when we worship that we experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, some of you, some of you are just begging for peace. Some of you are just coming into this place hoping that you can get a taste of joy. Go look at the fruit of the Spirit. I believe all the fruits of the Spirit are in the moments of worship and praise. When we express God does something, that's how, like the things that were once big in our life and distracting and disruptive, all of a sudden they become strangely dim. Why? Because we're putting our lives in the right spot. 
We're putting those things, those distractions, those pains, those failures, we're putting those away for a minute. And we're focusing on the one that doesn't just possibly change those things. It's the one that's created all things. And through him, all things are sustained. It's when we release a breath or a note of worship, a song of praise, we realize that even that release of praise is actually a gift from God, knowing that every breath comes from him. So we're literally taking borrowed breath and just giving it back to him, saying, God, it's yours anyway. It's to celebrate God, Jesus, the Son, the gospel. Oh, moments of worship. They remind us of the good news. Today's message on praise and worship in a moment of worship. So I'd invite you guys to stand to your feet. As I read this scripture to you, found in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 5 says this, and what it was is it was the, it's the account of the temple, the house of God being dedicated to God himself. After I read this, we're going to go into a moment of worship, and, and for, for this service, we don't need our prayer team at the front of the room to this time. I, I just want, I want our prayer team to worship. I want you guys to have the opportunity to worship. Second Chronicles says this, the priests then withdrew from the holy place. It says all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen. They were playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians, they joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. This is what we're about to do. It says, accompanied by the trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, so accompanied by a piano, a guitar, and drums, the singers raised their voice in praises to the Lord, and they sang, He is good. His love endures forever. You know what's amazing about this? Christ hadn't come yet. They were prophetically singing about this Christ that was going to come and bring a love that goes beyond all pain. It goes beyond all shame. And they were prophetically saying, this God that will save us, he is good. And when the people came and did that, something supernatural happened. It says, the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So God, today, we position ourselves with a heart of thanksgiving. And God, I pray that in this moment, a song of praise would arise, that this place would be a house of praise. So as we dim the lights and we turn our speakers up and we sing about the King of Kings,